and welcome to Word Up, a series of podcasts hosted by Oxford University Press with Helen Prince and guests. So in this podcast, you're going to hear a little bit about gin. So I thought it might be quite useful for us to know a little bit about the origins of the word gin. So I didn't know this, but gin is actually from the Dutch word, excuse my pronunciation, all you lovely Dutch people, uh, Geneva or Geneva, literally meaning juniper. So the Dutch word for juniper is where we get the word gin because obviously that's where the alcohol is derived from those juniper berries. We've got the lovely slang phrase to gin up, meaning to enliven or make more exciting. That comes around from 1887. And then this special use of the verb associated with gin, actually some people think it comes from engine, which is quite interesting, isn't it? Certainly a bottle of gin gives us a bit of an engine, <laughs> but perhaps uh, it could also be from ginger and to ginger up. Uh, in the sense of a bit of spice or pizzazz. So there we go, there's a bit of a story behind the word gin. I am so pleased to welcome Louise Pennington to our Word Up podcast today. Louise is quite an incredible colleague who has started a career in teaching, went into being a Senko, worked for the LA uh, leading maths specialist teacher. She has become recently a fellow of the Chartered College of Teaching. She's an author, real passion for all things to help our young people make progress. And actually really interestingly, she's got a Twitter account about gin. Gin Ed. <laughs> Louise, tell us a little bit about that because we're all going to be fascinated. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, gin, I'm sure we'll get around to gin a couple of times, is a a passion of mine and um my twitter friend mark unwin and i have a twitter account for teachers called gin ed so anything to do with gin and education there is a high correlation we feel of um gin appreciators that are also in education i love that <laughs> right i'm after this uh, interview i'm off to go and find that twitter account so gin ed everybody we're gonna we're gonna find that and give it a follow awesome i love that there's a high correlation of gin lovers in our profession Okay, so we're going to talk a bit about special educational needs in regard to the word gap today. So let's start off by thinking about actually what does that look like in terms of communication and our young people have got poor communication skills. What do you, in your experience, what's the impact that you see for those young people? Oh, it's huge, Helen, the impact of speech and language difficulties. Mm. I mean, you know, there's so many difficulties and barriers that children face that actually affect their their word you know their word development but I think for me speech and language is such a high correlation with vocabulary and difficulties in accessing the curriculum so I think there's, there's a lot to be said here from early years through to secondary in terms of what you know what barriers children face so first of all we have those difficulties within ourselves in terms of you know, our speech and language skills, the language we have in order to access the curriculum. Mm. But then also, as we work through, we've got the tier two and three language. So we've got so much, so much more technical vocabulary. So apart from children who might have special needs relating to language, communication and interaction, we also have barriers within the curriculum and also within the school fabric in terms mm. of, you know, the noise levels, where children are sat, what, what distracts them around school. And then also within resources and equipment that we use. So I think there's lots of ways in which, you know, children can, can face barriers. In terms of the impact, mm. it's so important for children to be able to communicate. It's a basic need, isn't it? You know, in terms of being able to clearly 
express yeah. ourselves and communicate, to process our speech sounds accurately, express our ideas and thoughts, and also to understand others and to build interaction and relationships. It's so fundamental to those early um, child development building blocks. And, you know, language and communication skills, and this is exactly what we're, we're using now, language and communication skills. It's just fundamental to, to everything. Everything that yeah. we do is based on communication. So whether that's just a sing, you know, a simple eye, eye gaze and yeah. some nonverbal communication all the way through to really in-depth conversations, expressing our feelings and, and ideas, you know, every single thing is permeated by language. So it's so debilitating. It is because there's that real intrinsic link with well-being, isn't there? And yes, wanting to feel heard. I don't know about you, but I've worked with lots of young people and you can just see it etched in their face that they can't express what they want to say because there have been barriers previously. I've worked in secondary in the main and you can just see that there's a real frustration. They can't communicate what it is mm. they want to say. And I think then, and we've said this previously, haven't we, that there becomes this barrier of behavior that is a mask mm. to try and, you know, fool you into thinking that it's the behavior that's the issue, but actually underneath almost always there's something underpinning that, isn't there? Mm. Mm. You know, we've spoken before about the fact that you know, young children often, I mean, it is the most um, commonly reported need in young children, speech, language and communication, that SLCN acronym. Yeah. Um, yeah. But as children move through the education system, those same children end up being labelled, if you like, later on. So particularly through secondary, as those children with SEMA, so social, emotional, mental health needs, but actually, is it because their underlying speech and language difficulties haven't been addressed through yeah. the education system? Yeah. So I think there's there's a real issue here for, for us as educators and in working with partnership with parents and other organisations and professionals in terms of what, what is our offer? How do we deal with the word gap, particularly yeah. for this, you know, bottom 15% of our school population? Significant numbers of those children, you know, have speech and language difficulties that are causing additional barriers for them in terms of their success. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've worked in um, BSD setting previously and, and also mm. on inspection. I wonder if there's enough out there for our colleagues working in special ed. Do you think that there's enough, I don't know, CPD or support for those colleagues? I certainly found when I was working in BSD that there wasn't very much for us. It's a really interesting question. And like you said, there's a high correlation of children in special settings who will have some level of communication, language or interaction need. And yet, is there enough out there? I mean, there's quite a lot of um, interventions and, and catch-up programmes and a lot of our early years colleagues will, will do incredible amounts of work to boost language when children first enter settings. There's some really lovely programmes mm. that, that professionals use in the early years. But yeah, what do we do? What is available? Particularly as the, the layering on of language comes, it doesn't matter what setting you're mm. in. Children are faced with a lot of language, you know, both both written and spoken in terms, you know, we have language rich environments is something that schools strive to have, isn't yeah. it? And then, you know, how do we ensure access to that? So I think CPD, um, particularly in secondary, I think it is a good point. You know, where do uh, where do professionals turn mm for support and to broaden their knowledge yeah. around speech and language needs. Yeah. And as part of our podcast offer, there's going to be a, a little box of delights, isn't there, that I know that you've, you're, put, there you're putting a whole load of content in, which is fab. So, you know, we'll try and put as much as we can in there to try and support colleagues with yeah. what 
what they can have. There'll definitely be some links to some websites. I mean, there is quite a lot if you start to look. However, teachers, you know, don't often have the time to start searching. They want to know, you know, where can I go to to find out some more information. So there are some um, charities. There are, you know, there are some, you know, big voices around speech and language. Um, you've referred to some previously in some of your webinars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, I saw a tweet last night and it was a colleague who said it's half past 11 and I've still got another lesson to plan. And you just think mm. our, co- our colleagues are working so hard right now. It's such an incredibly trying time really in education at the moment. And I think this, you know, perhaps what we're talking about now will, will become something that teachers focus on again. Because I think, you know, we know that, you know, the, the word gap issues start at home, whether, whether, you know, we like that or not. There's a, there's no one cause for that, but you know, they do have a huge correlation to the language, the experiences that children have at home. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Well, let's have a look at those sort of common barriers. So um, in terms of accessing the curriculum and interacting with peers, would you say there are common barriers for some of our young people with speech and language difficulties with special educational need? Oh, yeah. I think we've already said, haven't we, that it is the most prevalent need around special needs, that over 20% of children with identified additional needs have speech and language as their, mm. as their main, their presenting main need. Mm. Um, and that, you know, the Communication Trust has lots of, of data and information around that. And I think within that group, we've also got 7% of children with a speech, language and communication impairment. So, you know, their language development or their their ability to process language is, is actually impaired. Mm. So it's the most common childhood need. I think that there are some common barriers, as we've said, in terms of a child's needs, their own needs causes a barrier. But also we have barriers within the environment, as we've said, and also curriculum and resource accessibility. So I think for me, that's something that schools can address. They can address all three of those things in a variety of ways. Yeah. So I was reading something the other day, it was fascinating me, about dyslexia. And we know in English, we've got 44 sounds that we can write in over a thousand different ways. So we make it blimmin' difficult for our language learners and and, uh, native speakers. Really hard in terms of the spelling sounds. But do you know, in Italy, they don't have anywhere near the prevalence of dyslexia. So... Whereas, you know, in the USA, I think they say it could be around 10% of the population are dyslexic. In in Italy, it's not even half that. And it could well be because their alphabet and the way that they write is so phonetically plausible that the issues aren't there. Whereas we have got such a tricky system of sounds and spelling. Mm, and it's archaic, isn't it? You know, we have a language rich in history, don't we? So whilst that's fantastic and it's so interesting, yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> the etymology yeah. is brilliant. But actually, you're right. You know, some of the um, language conventions and spellings that we use do cause a lot of additional barriers for children. I've got a little exemplification of that. So I remember doing this at A level. I did this at A level, and I'm oh, that's quite a little while ago now. <laughs> and it was this is a spelling of fish, and the spelling of fish is G H O T I. Was it Joe? I think it was George Bernard Shaw who came up with that goatee spelling for fish and it's the gh as in enough o as in women and the ti as in station and so it spells fish and how confusing is that you know if if language is something that's hard for you we've got a lot of barriers there and i think that's that is really crucial actually in terms of thinking about how subject specific vocabulary develops isn't it yeah 
hundred percent. And we need to be really mindful of that and have enough resources out there and, and ideas to support our young people with that, with that move forward. The most recent word get report, you know, we've got lots of recommendations there around academic vocabulary, working with parents. Do you think there's anything in particular that we should be considering when yes. we're looking at our young people with special <laughs> educational needs? Yes, I think that that's the right. Yes. Next question. Uh, yes, I do. I think there's a lot. I mean, for me, anything that is good practice for special educational needs tends to be good practice generally for across school. And so you, you've hit the nail on the head there. You said parents. I think anything that schools can do, and I know it's particularly difficult as children get older, um, <laughs> but working with parents, working in partnership with parents is so crucial to mm. address the word gap at all the stages of education that we mm. work in. It's easier when, as parents, we have that face-to-face contact with teachers. We're much more involved in our primary or early years education, but actually at secondary incredibly difficult to to get incidental contact with parents isn't it but actually you know there is a lot to be done it's a shared responsibility to to develop those language exposures so I think the one thing is that anything that schools can do to build relationships to uh, work with parents to provide them with some activities that are both fun and engaging that are that are simple and easy to get into to support them with their understanding of the importance of you know language development at home and experiences you know books 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 when I, when I first started to think about this I just wrote at the top of a page books books and books <laughs> yeah. um, you know how much do we stress to parents you know the the importance of reading and in terms of vocabulary and language development it, yeah. You know, it's not just that snuggly bedtime story. I mean, I still read to my twins. They're in year six. We do a lot of shared reading. And actually some fantastic books for our middle age, you know, into early teens now, so much more than they were around previously. But actually that's the responsibility of schools too, to provide books that are at the correct readability, that are engaging for children, no matter what their reading ability is. You know, yeah. that is a challenge in terms of searching out and finding some of those books that have that lower readability, but are still really engaging for children to read. So it's a complex issue, but I think yeah, anything that we can do with parents in a positive way in terms of language development, in terms of speech sounds, talking to children clearly, yeah. um, all the way and through them to, to sharing books. Exactly. Topics yeah. of talk, you know, tea time talk. Yeah. That's not, I like that idea. And also developing their interest in things, because if you have an interest in something, then the vocabulary around that is often quite specialised, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't matter what it is. You know, we just, we're fascinated by people with a passion, isn't it? And mm. I don't, I don't actually care what it is, you know, even if it's tadpoles, that's great. You know? <laughs> if you're passionate, I'm interested. So yeah. Do you know, you talk yeah. about face-to-face with parents. It was really funny last night. We had a year nine parents evening for my son. <laughs> and we couldn't log in. It was There were issues with the tech. And by the time we'd logged in, there were only three minutes of our 10-minute slot available. Oh, dear. And it's on a timer. And so we had three minutes to talk very, very quickly. And then at three minutes, off, off she went. And that was it. Gone dead. And I thought, do you know what? As a teacher, wouldn't that have been quite good over the last 20 years? Because sometimes you want to get through these parents. And yeah, some of them are... Busy chatting on and chatting on. And it was so funny to be cut off. That was it. Your time's up. And actually, I enjoyed my virtual parents evening with my children's teacher. It gave us a really good opportunity to sit and talk. But actually, the children were there. They they were listening and and could hear. So I think that was that's actually quite nice. I agree. And then the conversation goes on, doesn't it? You know, so the teacher disappeared after three minutes, but 
Rue and I carried on chatting about, you know, his options and all sorts. Looking at our young people with additional needs, do you think there's a best way to develop vocabulary for them? Do you, know, you know, we've said actually what works for our SEND children is what works for everybody. Yeah. Is there anything in particular that we can be doing to support those young people? I think much more of a focus on vocabulary development as a whole school shared responsibility is is definitely one thing. It's everybody's yeah. job. It is everybody's job. Yeah. You know, even if it's purely subject specific vocabulary for a geography teacher in, in a secondary school, that yeah. development of that vocabulary is definitely, you know, in their job and it needs to be planned for, it needs to be scaffolded, it needs to be modelled and, and, and expected in communication, both written and, and oral. So I think that that kind of kind of quality first teaching element of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a geography teacher, I'm a science teacher. What is my tier two and tier three language that I need to develop? But also how does that fit you know, into a school curriculum and, and what's the direction from the senior leaders in a school in terms of we are a language school that language is, 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 is learning. So I think that kind of um, ethos and whole school commitment is, is central. That modelling, so vital for all our colleagues, no matter what they're doing, you know, our teaching assistants, our guys in the office, whatever it might be, that modelling of great talk. Because, you know, for lots of our young people, it might be the only place they're getting any kind of formal language exposure. So yes. let's use every opportunity. The minute they walk through the door till the minute they leave, let's use every moment. Exactly. I think for me that we've said vocabulary knowledge is linked, as we know, to reading and reading comprehension. Yeah. So I think, you know, that reading books does boost our vocabulary. So that's something that, you know, schools can and, and do work on. You know, that shared text, performance, poetry, those types of things have to become within that quality first teaching or that universal offer, yeah. that real deep commitment to developing language in all its different guises across the whole curriculum. And these are things that do support children with additional needs because they get that same diet of language rich experiences. And then it just needs to be more carefully scaffolded and they might need some more prompts and props um, at the quality first teaching level. And then I suppose laid on top of that is what do schools offer for you know to boost talk mm. you know small group work do they use programs have they got somebody who has some resources that they use in small group work and then you know what do we do for the children who have those persistent more, more long-term difficulties around speech and so what is our offer for children who need something that's additional and different yeah. and it might be more long-term to develop their vocabulary and speech yeah well I was going to say I love I love that idea of um performance in story I was working with a school quite recently and uh, we introduced the Ruby in the Smoke by Philip Pullman to the year sevens. Uh, it's quite early on in their year. And it's a great book for that because it's full of London and Victoriana. And so it's a good little sort of lead in for us when we're looking at further down the line in GCSE literature. And we, we read the first chapter to the, to the year and we, we did it as a play. So we were just we were reading the text, but it's actually full of dialogue. And it's full of atmospheric description. So we had a smoke machine. We put all the lights down to a, to a red kind of lighting. We dressed up. And so all of that just brought chapter one to life. And because it was shared experience, all of year seven watched it in the theatre together. And then they went back to their classrooms and carried on with chapter two. But, you know, suddenly there's something to hang on to. There's an experience, a shared experience triggered mm. so much talk. It really got underneath some of the vocabulary because it's quite tricky. You know, some of the vocab in, in that book is, is quite advanced. There's a lot, you know, it's full of tier two stuff. 
I love the idea of performance. And I think if you're thinking of children, you mentioned dyslexia before, and a lot of, you know, children with dyslexia have have that difficulty accessing text, but actually a, an experience like that calls to their creative side. It reduces that anxiety around, you know, getting into a text necessarily. And it gives them, like you said, some experience, something to hang on to that they can then develop in that next stage of exploring the book. So there's a lot to be said about um, multisensory experiences around, around language, really. Vocabulary in context is so much more successful, particularly for children with additional needs and those with speech and language needs. And, and in that, you know, that WordGet report, Professor Teresa Kremin has a full page talking about vocabulary in context, doesn't she, developing that. So I think that's really important. So just reiterating our point from before around the fact that, you know, there should be a whole school focus and commitment to closing the word gap across subjects, key stages and for everyone. And if they can just find a way to get that right within their settings, then that is a huge, has a huge impact on children, you know, in terms of reducing their barriers to access the curriculum, but also in developing their language skills, the future life. And you know, when, you know, when our young people have caught on to a new kind of way of expressing themselves, you really see a kind of empowered view come over their way of talking. Isn't it? Yeah, it's it's really fascinating. It's one of my favorite ever things in the classroom is when you've empowered young people with, you know, whatever it might be for the text, but they've got a new way of speaking, a new way of expressing themselves, a new way of, you know, exploring the nuance of what it looks like to be that character in that novel or be that, you know, scientific experiment and, t- and talking about it in a way that sounds professional and there's a real sense of empowerment in that. Mm. And it's also that using of our imagination, because it's so it's so tied up in language, isn't it? You know, to be able to imagine, you have to have you developed vocabulary skills. You have to have had some yeah. experiences that you can have a base of in order to, to develop your, yeah. your ideas. So it's all tied up, I think, that that imaginative work, that performance, the good models of language, these are all things that schools do I think as a profession we we've started to really focus on these things for a variety of different reasons but these are the things that boost language these are the things that remove barriers for children and so it is really important from my perspective that those are the things that that schools work on you know we've talked a lot about tier two and tier three words but and you've said modeling and that's something that I'm really really keen on is that they hear the models being used they're encouraged in their contributions and in their writing to use that vocabulary that we provide those for students in an accessible way so you know we have I don't know word word banks or personal dictionaries you've talked before about mapping words out yeah and there's semantic maps absolutely semantic maps you know make make those links and and introduce a few tier three words Mm. you know but absolutely semantic maps about those connections that we make yeah it's it's um it's that idea of schema isn't it and also if you don't have the language how do you how do you move experiences to your long-term memory where do you store them how do you store it with like things it's definitely about schema and semantics and then how do you find your way back to those in your filing system yeah to use them in a new situation to me it's so it's so tied up in our language capabilities that quite often you will meet a child who has little pockets, little bubbles of knowledge about something. That's it, Um, yeah. And it's our job to join them together, give them that vocabulary, make the links for them, allow them to experience things so that they can 
take things and store them in the, in their schema much more successfully. Yeah. And I think that is crucial. And we are, we've all seen children who have, you know, what's called a spiky profile, these things that they know, and then huge gaps. Yeah. Particularly you will have seen, I guess, in your, your secondary special setting. Yeah. Such skilled practitioners who piece some of those bits of knowledge together. Yeah. We're going to see gaps, aren't we? But, you know, we're good at that. Mm. We do that really well in teaching. We, we're used to baselining. We know where we're where we're working. We don't need to panic, but some of those gaps may be a bit more prevalent. When I, when I did a stint of um, working as an independent consultant, I was supporting SENCOs in different local authorities and doing assessments, working with children, you know, helping the SENCOs with their workload. Yeah. And I went into one school and I was asked, my, my background is specialist maths teacher. So the maths difficulties is my thing. And she said, I've got five children that I want you to, to work with today to do some assessments. They're really struggling in maths. Yeah. All primary age children, all key stage two. Yeah. And every single one of those five children had some some speech and language difficulties. A lot of them had expressive language difficulties. When you listen to them, when you're asking them questions, the sentence construction, the vocabulary, their word finding. And so you can see how it affects them across the curriculum. And sometimes, you know, a presenting need, this child's got some math difficulties. Actually, it's not, it's speech and language. Mm. And if we strip back and address those, then the curriculum becomes more open, doesn't it? Yeah, Absolutely. It's fascinating, isn't it, to look at the layers of need and really pinpointing for our young people what they what they need going forward and finding out what the root causes are. It is part of our job and teachers are really good at observing, aren't they, yeah. and, and listening. And I think it's just the space and time to do that, but also to know what you're looking and listening for. Yeah, and that's why it's so hard now. You know, you can't see so much through the screen. And that engagement um, drops off, doesn't it? My, my children had a Zoom well-being catch-up with their teacher the day. They both got really anxious about it. And they're, they're both, you know, well-rounded children. They're anxious about their well-being Zoom. They're anxious, exactly. I said, it's a well-being check. You need to do it. Uh, do I have to have my camera on? Yes, you do. She needs to see you. Um, but actually, that their engagement, I was listening from afar. Their engagement was, was quite low. And I was just interested to, to think about how how difficult that is for teachers at the moment to, to gauge that, you know, engagement and to, to support students in yeah. terms of the curriculum, their language and everything else. So really it, it's an interesting one, but actually when we're back and things are back to normal, I think that that having some knowledge around speech and language development, particularly if you're working um, in early year settings or in primary schools, having some knowledge about development stages is actually quite important. And then also to think about how, where is the system for me to flag up concerns or issues here? So because early identification we know is crucial, you know, regular focus on evaluation of vocabulary, listening to children talk, is their sentence construction, does it sound right? Are, are their speech sounds all there at the right point? Obviously young children are still developing those. And then, you know, that prevention work, that bringing vocabulary to the fore in our teaching, planning for it, good, a good model of language. And then also that target intervention layer in terms of, you know, small group work, as we've said, or some more intensive interaction in terms of intervention for those requiring personalised or intensive support. And that, to me, it doesn't matter what setting we're in, whether it's early years or secondary, those three things need to be in place. Yeah, that one, that one-to-one working is so vital, isn't it? really supporting them with that one-to-one tuition. I think Education Endowment Foundation just recently released a report saying how vital that, that element was to really narrow gaps. 
particularly with vocabulary or speech sound difficulties. Yeah. I mean, you've got that speech therapist needs to step in there. So one of my twins had had some speech sound difficulties through early reception into year one. But I flagged it as a parent and someone with a special needs background. I went to the GP and said, my, my child's got speech sound difficulties. He's fronting. And she was like, okay. So I told her what the difficulties were. And she said, if you know what the difficulty is, why are you coming to me? And I was like, because I don't know what to do about it. It's, I think it's, it's a speech sound issue. So it's a speech therapist. It's a very skilled yeah. you know, professional that needs to support him. Because he was saying things like, he was making up his own words for common things. And when his sister challenged him, he said, I can't say that word, so I'm just calling it this. Really fascinating. Yeah, so he knew he couldn't, he didn't have the, the that's, sound That's like us when we're not sure how to pronounce something. We think, well, don't, won't you use that word? Just I'll just avoid uh, it, yeah. I'll use yeah, the other so word. It was. And I didn't want that for him. I didn't want him. But yeah. I just thought, actually, because of my knowledge, I could flag that up. Did they check his hearing? They did check his yeah. hearing first thing they did. Yeah. Um, and he didn't want to engage with the activities. <laughs> <laughs> but um but I just thought actually I was advantaged there because of my knowledge. Yeah. You know, how many parents understand the speech sound development, you know, and because I had twins, you and had one the contrast. Typically developing speech sounds, the other one didn't. Yeah. I could see the contrast there right in front of me. But I think, you know, so if if the parents don't know that, and we couldn't expect parents to understand that speech development and the vocabulary development necessarily, but then where is the professional that that looks at that child and understands that there's actually some a potential here for us to intervene early and yeah. and to kind of work with that? Louise, I think you've got some really good hints and tips for us, haven't you? A few, I think um, some of them we've already mentioned, so it's just to kind of reiterate and remind ourselves. The first one on my list will be parents building relationships, supporting their understanding of the importance of talk and reading, and then also work with them as much as possible in partnership. Mm. You know, parents, you know, work much better with schools when it's a partnership rather than Absolutely. being told what they have to do. And then obviously early years through to earlier primary years, that providing of running commentary alongside play, so oh, we're yes. getting that language in terms of I'm playing quietly, but there's an adult comment, you know, doing that yeah. running commentary on what's yeah. going on. Listening, really listening to what children say and how they're saying that mm-hmm. allows us to intervene and also flag things up in terms of issues. But also talking that really good model of talk, as we've said, high quality models for language. And then some of the things that I've heard you talk about. So word maps, vocabulary webs, personal dictionaries teaching that specific vocabulary explicitly. Also, I think there's a, there's definitely a place here for pre-teaching of vocabulary. Yeah. So bringing the toe to the line. So children have those word banks. They've been familiarised with some of the, mm. the key technical vocabulary, tier two, tier three, for a particular subject or topic. And get them up, get them on the walls and display them. Absolutely displayed all around. Right on the window. And then I think there's something here, particularly for special needs in terms of assistive technology. You know, are we supporting children to build their vocabulary? There's such great things out there. Um, I'm going to put a wheel on if I can download it and get it in that treasure trove. But things like, um, you know, everything from clicker software, which practitioners can preload with vocabulary and things. So it helps them build sentences. All the way through to that, that voice software, the Stephen Hawking style assistive technology. So, you know, what have we got at our disposal in terms of encouraging communication and language? 
And one thing that I really like, and I still use them now, is talk buttons or talk tins. Have you seen those? I have. Little tiny recording devices. So I sometimes have used them with setting up an activity Mm. and then the recording happens by you touching the talk button. So you speak a short sentence. Um, It supports children's reasoning and problem-solving skills. It supports them in uh, reducing the need to record in written. So things like your children with dyslexia needs. But also for oral rehearsal, yeah. if you're practicing something, you can hear yourself yeah. saying it and think, actually, is that what I wanted to say? As opposed to what you thought you said. <laughs> and they're easily wiped. You press the button again and it's wiped off what's already yeah. there. So actually it's it's a low threat where low you're practicing. Yeah, so it's really, and they're so cheap. You can get a little bag of those of about 10 from Amazon for next to nothing. So I think that's a great thing. Talk teams on those talk buttons, really good. Communication temptations. If we have children working at those lower levels or who are resisting that that communication. So I've worked with children who, you know, who don't hear them speak in, in class for a variety of reasons. But, you know, eliciting a response or getting there's something, they get a reward if if they interact with you in some way. So something as simple as they you blow a bubble if they if they vocalize something and um, you know that kind of instant reward i think is really important and i think that's so crucial for children to, to realize their voice initiates a request or a want or a need that they can express that and they get that instant feedback particularly our, our colleagues in special school do that really really well there are some really really good proven research programs around that will support particularly early years into primary with the development of speech language and communication. So it's that 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 kind of third wave of, of intervention, if you like. Those are my top tips anyway. I could go on forever. <laughs> That's a great list. Well done. Thank you. And lots of this will be in our little box of delights. So people can go and have a look and find those find those there. Lou, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Helen. It's you. been really great. I'm only sorry I don't don't live a bit nearer so we could share a G&T. Well, you never know when we're, when we're back up. At some point <laughs> this year, you never know. Awesome. Thank Thanks, you. Lou. Take care, Helen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Word Up podcast from Oxford Education. To receive bonus material relevant to the discussion, please visit www.oup.com slash education slash podcasts.